Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, Literally Heather. I have, we have a long episode today, so I just want to let you guys know that in advance. I apologize. There's a lot going on. It was a big news day yesterday. Um, I've long since said it's my hope to get a firearm in the hands of every woman and man, and today there are two deals to help me do that. The first is a full-size PSA dagger with a threaded barrel that comes with a case and 10 17-round magazines for only $4.19.99. The second is the PSA dagger compact with five Magpul PMAG 15-round magazines with 100 rounds of Sierra Sports Master ammo for only $399.99. What better way to honor your significant other, the mother of your children, than to get her on her way to a level playing field against anyone that wishes to do her harm? The links, as always, are in the show description. Check those out today. Better than flowers, better than chocolate, better than strawberries. Um, There is a case on the Supreme Court's shadow docket, which are the cases that include the emergency motions and expedited matters that the court will review outside of their normal docket, and it could strike down state and local bans on firearms. As a result, the left is losing their mind and... Of course, I'm loving every minute of it. The case challenges a Naperville, Illinois ordinance and a similar Illinois state law, both of which ban assault weapons, which the state law defines to include certain semi-automatic rifles such as AR-15s, AK-47s. Additionally, the state law prohibits the sale of a large-capacity ammunition feeding device, which the statute defines as long-gun magazines that hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition, or handgun magazines that hold more than 15 bullets. The plaintiffs, which include a gun shop owner and a gun rights group, claim the two statutes violate the Second Amendment. Should the Supreme Court accept that argument and overturn these laws, it would have sweeping implications for the entire country, very similar to New York v. Bruin. That decision would need to be followed throughout the entire nation, which would most likely mean that neither any state nor the U.S. Congress could ban assault rifles or high-capacity magazines ever again. There's a good reason to think that this court could, at the very least, decide to make semi-automatic assault rifles legal throughout the United States because, in 2011, a federal appeals court upheld the D.C. ban on assault weapons, but there was a dissenting opinion of a one judge named Brett Kavanaugh. Although the Supreme Court's decision in District of Columbia v. Heller permitted lawmakers to ban, quote, dangerous and unusual weapons, Kavanaugh read that decision very narrowly in his 2011 opinion. He reasoned that semi-automatic rifles are no more dangerous than lawful weapons such as handguns, nor are they especially unusual. Among other things, he argued that at the time of his opinion, about 2 million semi-automatic AR-15 rifles had been manufactured. Kavanaugh argued in his 2011 opinion 
that if handguns do not qualify as dangerous weapons, then neither can semi-automatic rifles of any kind because semi-automatic handguns are used in connection with violent crimes far more than semi-automatic rifles are. And he has a point. According to the FBI, more than 10,000 people were murdered by a firearm in 2019 alone. 6,400 of those murders were committed by a handgun. Meanwhile, only 364 gun murders were committed by a rifle of any kind. Similarly, Kavanaugh argued that assault rifles are not unusual because they are widely owned by civilians. Congress banned assault weapons in 1994, but that law expired after 10 years and was not renewed. As noted, Kavanaugh argued that over 2 million AR-15s had been made when he wrote his 2011 opinion. He also argued that the AR-15 alone counted for 5.5% of firearms and 14.4% of rifles produced in the United States for the domestic market. And you're only counting the ones that we didn't make on our own that you weren't able to track. Wink, wink. Kavanaugh is the median justice on the current Supreme Court, so his views carry a great deal of sway. If he believes that assault rifle bans are unconstitutional, it is likely that he has the votes to declare them unconstitutional, though it remains as an open question whether he will do so on the shadow docket. Biden is using his presidential authority to quit using Title 42, which was a health law that was introduced during COVID to control immigration at the borders with Mexico and Canada. The administration says that in its place, it's rolling out a plan that encourages migrants to use legal pathways, some of them targeted to aid migrants from certain countries. The administration has also said its plan is to use deterrence and diplomacy to discourage people from trying to enter the country illegally. Here are some of the policies and requirements the Biden administration is using or has announced it plans to use as Title 42 ends tomorrow. Number one, replace Title 42 with Title 8, the section of the U.S. law dealing with immigration and nationality that was used at the borders before the pandemic. Number two, levy penalties allowed under Title 8 from $50 to $250 in fines and six months to two years in prison for each attempt to cross the border without legal permission and twice the fines for anyone previously fined or imprisoned. $250 in fines, you guys. Penalties are more severe if a person has a criminal record and re-enters the country illegally. Title 42 had suspended those penalties, which led to an increase in the number of people who repeatedly crossed the border after they had been expelled. Uh, I don't know what number I'm on because these are just bullets, but require anyone who wants to apply for asylum to make an appointment through the Border Patrol One phone app. The number of appointments available per day through the app expands from 800 to 1,000 and appointments can be made 23 hours a day. Because I, you know, just, (laughs) oh man, Uh, like the, the assumption that these people who have been traveling for hundreds of thousands of miles have cell phones, like they're just ready to hop on the app to make their appointment. Anyway. 
toughen rules about asylum so applications are open only to people who can show they applied to third countries and were rejected and they tried to make appointments through CBP-1. The tougher rules propose some exceptions for unaccompanied children, people in imminent danger, and certain trafficking victims. I, I like, quote, toughened rules. Um, that that should be a norm. Like, they should be applying in every country on their way here. Uh, allow 30,000 Haitians, Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, and Cubans per month who have U.S. sponsors to apply for humanitarian parole in the U.S. Those who qualify get to work in the country for two years. Add asylum officers and immigration judges to expedite processing times. Conduct, conduct credible fear interviews of people asking for asylum earlier in the process and provide legal services so removals can be expedited. Deploy 1,500 active duty military personnel to help Border Patrol with processing paperwork. Bring in thousands of contractors and non-uniformed employees to support administrative tasks, usually done by Border Patrol agents. Expand Border Patrol capacity for holding migrants and increase Immigration and Customs Enforcement removal flights, doubling and tripling some for certain countries. Open processing centers in countries where people can apply for legal immigration to the United States, Canada, Spain, and other countries. Increase Panamanian, Colombian, and U.S. personnel in the Darien Gap region to counter smugglers and turn back migrants traveling through it to get to the United States. Create a legal way for families from El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Colombia to reunite with family members in the United States. Apply an agreement with Mexico to accept more migrants turned away from the U.S. border. Oh, man. Or you could just do weapons hot. And uh, I believe that this will take care of itself way quicker than any of these rules and personnel and money that you're spending uh, on anything but U.S. citizens. It's fucking blows my mind, man. Biden and Homeland Security. Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas have touted the measures as historic steps to secure the border in lieu of meaningful immigration action by Congress. But Republicans, as well as some Democrats, have said the administration is not doing enough to deal with the large number of people trying to cross into the U.S. and their impact on border cities and states. Republicans have tried to stop the end of Title 42 in court, in Congress, the GOP is trying to pass an enforcement-only bill that, among other things, would resume building a border wall. In a stunning display of not respecting co-equal branches of government, the White House has announced that Joe Biden would veto that immigration bill that's coming out of the House of Representatives that would reinstitute several of Trump-era's policies, including construction of the border wall and the Remain in Mexico policy which stated that anyone seeking asylum had to wait in Mexico as their claim was processed. According to the Associated Press, the White House Office of Management and Budget said in a statement, while we welcome Congress's engagement on meaningful steps to address immigration and the challenges at the border, this bill would make things worse, not better. Because this bill does very little to actually increase border security while doing a great deal to trample on the nation's core values and international obligations. 
it should be rejected. Now, not on those grounds do I take issue, but the bill also snuck in e-verify and doesn't specify how it will be implemented or who who will be subjected to it. What type of information will be gathered in the process, biometrics, retinal scans, etc.? Imagine the federal government determining whether or not you have the right to work. Imagine being China, where the federal government's power over private businesses, workers, and U.S. citizens is unlimited. For a lot of people not excited about the social credit system, it's been a marvel to watch the number of conservatives clamoring to give the federal government more power just on the heels of COVID. Just kidding. I'm not surprised by anything anymore. These people want power and that's it, period. The U.S. will dispatch an additional $1.2 billion in military aid to Ukraine as Kyiv prepares its long-anticipated counteroffensive against Russia, the State Department announced on Tuesday. Thank goodness. I'm so glad that we have so much money to give to Ukraine. The package, which will not come from U.S. stocks but be purchased with congressionally approved funds, will include additional air defense systems and munitions, ammunition for counter-drone systems, 155-millimeter artillery rounds, satellite imagery services, and support for training, maintenance, and sustainment activities, the department said. The aid is designed to bolster its air defenses and sustain Ukraine's artillery ammunition needs. According to an agency statement, which added that the material is also meant to support building the capacity of Ukraine's armed forces to defend its territory and deter Russian aggression over the long term. The package will also include equipment to integrate Western air defense launchers, missiles, and radars with Ukraine's air defense systems. Why would we need to integrate those two systems? Hmm. However, It could be sometime before the latest package arrives in Ukraine, while defense officials say weapons sent from U.S. stocks can make it to Kyiv in as little as four days. Those purchased through the congressionally approved Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative funds can take weeks to months to procure and package for shipment. Tuesday's announcement comes less than a week after President Biden signed off on sending Ukraine another $300 million in weapons from U.S. stocks. That package included additional HIMAR rockets, an undisclosed amount of 155-millimeter howitzers and accompanying artillery, mortar rounds, tube-launched tow missiles, small arms, associated ammunition, and AT-4 and Carl Gustav shoulder-launched anti-armor weapon systems, Hydra-70 aircraft rockets. The United States will continue to work with its allies to deplete our own resources so that we can be taken over by other foreign powers. I'm just kidding. That's not what it says. Um, It'll work with its allies and partners to provide Ukraine with capabilities to meet its immediate battlefield needs and long-term security assistance requirements. A jury has found former President Trump liable for battery and defamation in the E. Jean Carroll case. Carroll who brought the lawsuit in November, alleged that Trump defamed her in his 2022 Truth Social post by calling her allegations a hoax and a lie and saying, this woman is not my type, when he denied her claim that Trump raped her in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in the 1990s. The former Elle magazine columnist added a charge of battery 
under a recently adopted New York law that allows adult survivors of sexual abuse to sue their alleged attacker regardless of the statute of limitations. Trump has denied all allegations that he raped Carol or defamed her. The jury awarded Carol a total of $5 million in the lawsuit. Jury members found that Trump did not rape Carol, but sexually abused her and awarded damages of $2 million in compensatory damages, $20,000 in punitive damages for battery. The jury awarded $1 million in damages, $1.7 million for reputation repair, and $280,000 in punitive damages for defamation. The judge admonished Trump for his comments on social media and indicated that if Trump wanted to speak about the case, he should testify under oath, which Trump declined to do. However, unlike a criminal case, in a civil case, jurors are allowed to draw a negative inference when a defendant decides not to testify. He just decided not to be here. He never looked you in the eye and denied raping Miss Carol. Never did that, Carol's attorney, Michael Ferreira, told jurors during the trial. Carol testified during the trial that she ran into Trump near the Bergdorf-Goodman entrance and then he asked her to help him buy some lingerie as a gift. The two were laughing and joking, she said, when he led her into a dressing room, shut the door, shoved her up against a wall, and sexually assaulted her. She told the jury that she first met Trump in 1987, but she struggled to pinpoint the date that she alleges he attacked her which she estimated was sometime around 1996. Carol's attorneys seized on Trump's deposition last year when he was shown a 1980s-era photograph of Carol. Her then-husband, John Johnson, Trump, and then his then-wife, Ivana Trump, and he momentarily mistook Carol for Marla Maples, That's Marla. Yeah, that's my wife, Trump said regarding Carol, according to the deposition. The truth is that E. Jean Carroll, a former cheerleader and Miss Indiana, was exactly Donald Trump's type, Carol's attorneys argued in court. Trump, who chose not to testify in his own defense, has previously denied the allegations from both women as well as from Carol. Oh, there were two other women that testified in the in the testimony. The defense called no witnesses, but Trump's attorney, Joe Tap. Takopina, Takopina, I don't know how to say his name, denied the allegations and told the jury that Carol's claim was an unbelievable work of fiction and that if the alleged attacker was anyone but Donald Trump, we're not here, not on this story. What they want is for you to hate him enough to ignore the facts, the attorney said. There is no objective evidence to corroborate her claim, including no police report. She never went to the police because it didn't happen. Takapina said Carol falsely alleged that he raped her, and that's why Trump publicly attacked her. Takapina said there was no reason for Trump to appear because Carol's story was completely made up and lacked credibility because she could not pinpoint when the alleged rape occurred. And if Donald Trump testified, what could I have asked him? Where were you on some unknown date 27 or 28 years ago? Carol's lawsuit was her second one against Trump related to her rape allegation. She previously sued Trump in 2019 after then-president denied her rape claim by telling The Hill that Carol was totally lying, saying, I'll say it with great respect. Number one, she's not my type. Number two, it never happened. 
It never happened, okay? That defamation suit has been caught in a procedural back and forth over the question of whether Trump, as president, was acting in his official capacity as an employee of the federal government when he made those remarks, because you can't sue the federal government. It's really interesting they hinged their case on a mistake of appearance regarding type. Someone can look the same as someone else, but be a horrible human being and still not be that person's type. Also, can we just talk about something objectively? If someone as famous as Donald Trump takes you back to a dressing room of a department store against your will and rapes you, as is claimed in this situation, how does that happen without a single corroborating witness? You didn't yell as he dragged you through the department store? You didn't scream as he raped you in the stall? Your clothes must have been torn to shreds. How did you leave the store unnoticed? Or, perhaps, was this a situation where you thought you had enraptured a wealthy, powerful man and you consented to the sexual act that took place, thinking there would be more for you on the other side of the situation and instead you were rebuffed and thanked like the cleaning service? And then you became scorned and remorseful of your own decisions and decided to project blame on someone else decades later because now it's en vogue to retract consent after the event occurring because you didn't get what you wanted out of the situation. I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing ideas out there. Tucker Carlson dropped a video Tuesday on Twitter announcing that he will do a new version of his old political commentary program on the platform. I will say the same thing here that I said on Twitter. This will be the end of legacy media as we know it. Tucker will weather any storm that comes his way because he is impervious to criticism from people that he does not value. Musk has introduced community notes that hold people accountable in a way that no other social media does. There is no room for propaganda and lies anymore, and frankly, the free market will see to that in no time. Carlson reportedly is being paid for the duration of his Fox News contract, but cannot appear on any other TV network during that time. It's unclear whether Carlson's contract restricts him from digital platforms. Carlson said he will be using Twitter to present his views although he offered no specifics on how the program will appear. Soon we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter, Carlson said in the nearly three-minute video. We'll bring you some other things too, which we'll tell you about, but for now, we're just grateful to be here. Free speech is the main right that you have. Without it, you have no others. See you soon. Twitter's owner, Elon Musk, tweeted that the social media platform has not signed a deal of any kind whatsoever with Carlson. On this platform, unlike the one-way street of broadcast, people are able to interact, critique, and refute whatever is said. I also want to be clear, I'm sorry, I also want to be clear, we have not signed a deal of any kind whatsoever. Tucker is subject to the same rules and rewards of all content creators. Rewards means subscriptions and advertising revenue share, which is coming soon, and a function of how many people subscribe and the advertising views associated with the content. I hope that many others, particularly from the left, also choose to be content creators on this platform. Well, Mr. Musk, as someone who has applied to be a subscription-based content creator, it would be awesome if you would streamline the process 
so that we can actually start getting paid off the content we create. I think you'll find many of us will be exclusively producing on Twitter if that's the case. Me, I'm, I'm talking about me. The audience of more than 3 million viewers Tucker averaged nightly has been cut by more than half since a rotation of fill-in hosts have appeared in the 8 p.m. Eastern hour slot. Just like his role on Fox News, Carlson is presenting himself as an alternative to legacy media, which he cited as the primary source for information on Twitter, referring to such outlets as propaganda. Show me the lie. The Justice Department has filed criminal charges against Republican Rep. George Santos. He is in federal custody and has been charged on a 13-count indictment, including seven counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, one count of theft of public funds, and two counts of making materially false statements to the House of Representatives. The freshman congressman, who was elected last year to represent a district that includes parts of Long Island and Queens, has been under investigation in multiple jurisdictions and by the House Ethics Committee. Top Democrats, joined by some New York Republicans, have been calling on Santos to resign over allegations ranging from criminal behavior on the campaign trail to petty personal dishonesty stretching back more than a decade. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said that he will look at the charges before determining if he thinks Santos should be removed from Congress. I'll look at the charges, he said on Tuesday. During his brief time in office, Santos has been accused of breaking campaign finance laws, violating federal conflict of interest laws, stealing cash meant for an Iraq war veteran's dying dog, masterminding a credit card fraud scheme, and lying about where he went to school and worked. Santos has admitted to making some misleading claims about his education and financial status, but continues to deny the more serious allegations. So he's a typical politician. The charges do not, from a legal standpoint, affect Santos's status as a member of Congress. Nothing in the Constitution's requirements for congressional office bars individuals under criminal indictment or conviction from serving, except for the 14th Amendment prohibitions for certain treasonous conduct committed after a member has taken the oath of office. Not to mention, you're innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, which is something I feel like reporters really forget about. However, if a member is convicted of a crime that could result in a punishment of two or more years in prison, they are instructed under House rules not to participate in votes on the floor or in committee votes. I told you on Monday that if the mere mention of the 14th Amendment was floating around, no matter how many times Jean-Pierre or, or Yellen dance around the question, that they're thinking about using it and they're just trying to figure out how to spin it. Yesterday, Joe Biden said he's been looking at the 14th Amendment as a way to unilaterally work around the debt ceiling, though he acknowledged it will not be a viable short-term solution with the nation on track to default without congressional action by June. I've been considering the 14th Amendment, and the man I have enormous respect for, Larry Tribe, thinks that that would be legitimate, Biden told reporters after a meeting with congressional leaders on the debt ceiling. We don't control the legislature to cram shit down your throat anymore. We'll rule by the power of the pen and really this run this country into the dirt at all of your expenses. But the problem is, it would have to be litigated, Biden continued. And in the meantime, without an extension, it would still end up in the same place. Biden added that once the White House and lawmakers deal with the task at hand of raising the debt ceiling, he plans to look at whether the court would rule that the 14th Amendment allows the president to continue issuing debt. 
McCarthy, however, threw cold water on the idea. Really think about this. You're the leader, you're the only president, and you're going to go with the 14th Amendment to look at something like that. I would think you're kind of a failure of working with people across sides of the aisle or working within your own party to get something done, he said at the Capitol. Biden met with congressional leaders at the White House on Tuesday, though the sides did not appear to make any meaningful progress toward avoiding default. You want the funds? Cut the spending. It's very simple. That is your Wednesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. We are doing Liberty Library this evening, covering the next four chapters of Red Rising. Oh, nope, five chapters tonight. I apologize. Next five chapters of Red Rising. I look forward to having you guys there with us if you choose to tune in. Otherwise, I will see you on Friday morning. You guys take care and have a great day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.